Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, a J10 initiative. Hey, welcome back to the podcast, Father John. Father Nathan Goble here. The beard is getting longer and scragglier every day. Scragglier. But I have the opportunity to look at that beautiful face every single week. So if St. Paul says that a woman should cover her head because her hair is her glory, I mean... (laughs) This beard, it's just, it does beg it's my the, shame. It does beg the question. Your glory is your shame. Mm-hmm. Now, what does Paul say? Your belly is your shame, I think. Yeah, they're, what is it? Their they're God is in their stomach and their glory is their shame. Their glory is their shame, yeah. So here we are back in uh, lovely, historic Littleton, Colorado at the, the rectory of Father Nathan Goble here. Not much has changed, though, in the last week. Nope. Same yeah. equipment and... Uh, the sun's going down. Sun's going down. Days are getting shorter. University of Illinois flag still flying high right behind him. Lost to Purdue. Lost to Wisconsin. Beat like Texas State. It's like, guys, come on. We're in kind of a rough uh, sporting go here. You know, the Cardinals as we speak. Oh, no. Down 3-1 to one by the time this is posted. But we do give our uh, salutations to the... Uh, victors, the Kansas City Royals, taking, out, taking out the Baltimore Orioles. Absolutely. On to their first um, World Series in 435 years. <laughs> um, and Jake Schneider and Sean Kuhlman are wetting themselves in delight. Schneider. De Schneider. The, um, as well as the Colorado Avalanche, off to kind of a slow start. So it's just, you know, all around. We yeah. We can't put our... Do uh, not put your hope in men. That's right. So instead, we put our hope in what? Not politics, which is what we're talking about today. Oh, good you transition. You like that. Oh, we're going right in. <laughs> okay, so topic today is uh, everybody's least favorite, including our own. But uh, tis the season for awkward uh, homilies and podcasts. We're going to talk about bladder control today, folks. <laughs> this is round two of Colorado Public Radio. mm so um, what we wanted to talk about was um, going back to a podcast we did two years ago on uh, faith and politics. And if you are an avid listener and you listened back to that, you remember uh, I gave a homily in uh, Boulder, Colorado that was less than well received. We'll just leave it at that. Yep. And um, myself personally, uh, not particularly into politics. We have friends, Father Matt Book. He's on uh, Instapundent and all these different things. Drudge. Drudge. The loon has spoken. Harumph. Keep going. I just want to listen. The loon clock. It's five o'clock. Lori Brown says hello. Does she actually listen to this? Probably. She's going to get a shout out every time that stinking loon clock goes off. Seems like we always like are starting right at the right hour. At the top of the hour. Here top it is, of the top hour. Of the hour. Colorado, Colorado Public Radio. Our listenership is up over two. <laughs> So Tia, so going back to two years ago, we want to kind of rehash uh, a couple of things. Why? Because we really should, and we really need to. But we want to have a little more of an honest uh, conversation about it. Uh, there's a lot of different perspectives, and uh, again, hopefully, we'll get a lot of different emails back uh, from people. Some of whom like it, some of whom pissed off. Whatever you know, uh, we expect the full gamut. But the uh, the title of this podcast is uh, Resident Aliens. Which sounds like the new Halo game Sweet coming out video or something. Game, yeah. yeah, exactly. Resident Aliens Four, right? Something like that. But the uh, the phrase "Resident Aliens," um, 
I chose uh, for my bulletin article at Queen of Peace Catholic Church <laughs> um, for a particular reason. We have a very divided parish. We have a, an old school Anglo community, and then we have a huge Hispanic community. Were you well. telling that story about the guy in the walker? Oh, yeah. So this is kind of quintessential Aurora, Colorado. This guy's coming down the aisle uh, for communion. Last guy, and he's got this huge walker, and he's moving really slowly. He's got an American flag draped over the front of it. And on the front of it, right on the front of the walker, it says, no common language plus no boundary control equals no country. It's just like a walking political statement. It's like, (laughs) body of Christ, amen. Boom, and he's out of there, right? And all of my four o'clock Saturday people, they obviously have places to be because they are like, bam, out of there, right? They're like, wait a second, mass went longer than 40 minutes this week? Father John, seriously. We got, I don't know, Golden Girls reruns to watch or something like Mm -hmm. that. So anyways, chose this title, Resident Aliens, to be provocative, right? Because there's a lot of people who the phrase aliens, right, in in immigration, this Mm. is kind of a big deal for them. And one of the things that I wanted to do, uh, for better or for worse, we'll see how it goes this weekend, probably for worse, was to recognize the fact that uh, as Christians, since the very beginning of the church, we have understood ourselves to be resident aliens, which means we're residing as citizens in this world, but we're also foreigners. We're also aliens, right? And so to kind of take and to kind of transcend a little bit the sociological situation that a lot of us face uh, in our parishes. Not all of us. Some of us are in beautiful white bread, upper middle class Littleton, Colorado, Yep, where I was raised, right? So I got no problem with that. But now in Aurora, I'm kind of seeing uh, there's a lot of different kinds of parishes out there. And I just did an anointing in Spanish, which was an abomination to God. But... We got him the sacraments, right? Ex opere operato. So the year uh, 130 AD, there's this famous thing called the letter to Diogenes. Do you know Diogenes? Mispronouncing it? Maybe. Diognatus. Something like that. Keith is just (laughs) cringing. Our Latinist friend, right? Okay. Do you want to correct that? I don't know it. He just... I can see your eyes. I can only see his his eyes. uh, (laughs) And it's just... It says it all. The twinkle. I'm not looking at a twinkle, that's for sure. Okay, so in the year 130 AD, um, an anonymous Christian writes a letter to this guy, Diognus, right? Or Diognetus or whatever. We're fighting about Patroclus or Patroclus. Patroclus. From the Iliad, whatever. Okay. We'll just call him Diognetus, right? Uh, Who in in this time is the tutor of the future famous Marcus Aurelius. One of the five great Roman emperors is what they're known as. Uh Uh-huh. And um, so anyways, and think about this, the year 130 AD, we're talking 30 years, right, within one generation of St. John writing his gospel right. and revelation, mm-hmm. have, experiencing his revelation, right? So uh, we got to go back to the reality that like um, the first century of Christianity is the development and, and the writing of the scriptures, and the church is already has a life and already has a form, and we know this. Uh, one of the great things that's happened in the last 200 years is the archaeological discovery of a lot of these early Christian writings from the first century. And this is one of those, right, from 130 AD. You can get it online. Here's a little excerpt for you. This is where we get the phrase resident aliens for the first time. Christians, this is what the anonymous Christian uh, uh, writes, uh, reside in their own nations, but as resident aliens. They reside in their own nations, but as resident aliens. They participate in all things as citizens and endure all things as foreigners. They obey the established laws, and their way of life surpasses the laws. So noble is the 
is the position to which God has assigned them, that they are not allowed to desert it. All right. Came across this because it's quoted in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, believe it hmm. or not. Paragraph 2240, just in case you uh, want to pick up the old catechism after this. So the Catechism of the Catholic Church, when it's discussing civic obligation, goes back to this ancient Christian text to say uh, that we are resident aliens, that we are on one hand residents, citizens, and on the other hand we're foreigners, right? And this is coming out of Paul's homily. I guess it's debated if it's Paul, but Hebrews, right? Strangers and sojourners Mm -hmm. in the land. And so the whole point of it, the whole point of saying, what is a resident alien? Why is the Christian resident? Is that we live in this really intense tension, right? We have to stay in the tension. And frankly, the tension sucks, right? Just to be honest, it's extremely difficult. But what this, this guy is saying in the second century, he's saying the nobility of the Christian vocation lies in living the tension, Right. So the fact that you have to hold these both ands together, right? Because as Catholics, we're really into both and, right? Mm-hmm. Et, et, theology, right? Yep. As my old professor used to say, I don't even know which professor, but they all said that. I think Interst was big on et, et, mm. theology uh, versus the, uh, the Protestants, right? Either or. Kierkegaard wrote a book called Either Or. Yep. It's one of, the, one of the two. And um, this whole thing, this tension really collapses um, with primarily with Martin Luther. He's the first to make this huge distinction and to say, um, you are a man or a woman of faith, and you're a man or a woman of civic civic obligation, right? And the two do not intersect whatsoever. Huh. And that's what eventually leads to Nazi Germany, right? It's a, it's a natural fallout of 500 years of this breakdown of the either-or. Residents abiding in the countries, but also as foreigners, as aliens. So what are your thoughts, feelings, and desires on that? What... Um when wouldn't the uh, dilemma be somewhat solved when the whole empire becomes Christian and they're no longer they're no longer resident aliens but they are residents of a Christian empire, Christian nation, Christian country? Right. And that is one of the two problems, right? So the two extremes are to become totally residents, aka take over all the power mm-hmm. and have a theocracy basically. Uh, which happens in the fourth century and goes for about a thousand years oh, I mean, before it, it starts to deconstruct. That's what uh, Franco was doing, right? Right, right. In and, Spain. Well, I made the mistake. Okay, so I live with Spaniards, and I one day made a uh, comment about Franco, and they're both pro Franco. Oh, yeah, because it was either Franco or the communists, right? Yeah. So Franco is this fascist dictator who's trying to align himself with the church, and they got the communists who are who are killing. So, like Father Jorge Aguero, one of the guys I live with. His grandfather was killed by communists, just martyred. Right? Wow. And he knew priests uh, and heard stories of priests who were just killed, you know. Hmm. And so um, I made that kind of casual uh, comment while we're eating our gazpacho one day at lunch, and I thought they were going to just lynch me right there. So Franco, yes, but we got to be careful with that. Well, I just don't, I don't know. I don't know enough about history, and I don't, but I mean, it, aren't we just hoping for a more Christian uh, country? You know, have a Christian king. And I think what's great about the year 130 is that they're saying the answer is not we need a Christian Caesar. We need a Christian emperor. They're not saying that. They're saying we're residents and we're foreigners. And we have to live in that tension. So, yeah, the one extreme is the conversion of all political power to the church, which has got us into some serious trouble over the years, as Mm -hmm. we know, as well, which which really lasted until the... um, until the reunification of Italy, 
1871, right, where finally the papal states and the temporal power of the papacy is stripped. And then in 1929, under Mussolini, of all people, uh, you have the Lateran Treaty where we get this little little carved out section around the Vatican and we become a, a, a city state, mm-hmm. which actually works out beautifully because then there's not the temporal power to tempt us into this collapsing the tension of being a resident alien. All right. But it still has a place. It still has a place in the, in the world uh, to speak on world affairs. Right. You know? Right. And then the other extreme is to just say, we're totally foreigners. We're totally alien. We don't give a crap about any of this stuff. We have, we don't want anything to do with politics. We don't want anything to do with, um, the civic life, right? And so we're just going to totally check out mm-hmm. and just say the world's going to hell. Forget it. We're not going to. We're not going to try and and do anything. Bunker mentality. Bunker mentality. I just read a book on uh, Pierre Giorgio Frassati this week. Uh, you know the basic kind of classic uh, one written by his sister Luciana called um, A Man of the Beatitudes. One of the things I was struck by was he was an extremely political character. Right? I mean, he was like working hard. He hated the fascist. Uh, Takeover. He actually felt more comfortable with communists than he did with fascists in Italy. So mm-hmm. apply that to Spain. Finish your gazpacho, your gazpacho first, you know, before you take <laughs> on that topic with Father Felix Medina, my beloved pastor, who definitely does not listen to this podcast. But if he did, he'd secretly like it. That's right. That's right. No comment. Your eyes are glittering again. It's the sun. It's the. It's just the sun. And my oil valet. That that does it. So anyway, so we have this tension we have to live in, right? And um. So bring this into the modern day. We're in a post-Christian world where um, we have defined our cult. Our culture has defined itself as not Christian, right? And it's good to remember that. Right? The world that we're living in mm-hmm. is is anti-Christian in the sense that it defines itself as we are not Christian, but it's stripped all of the Christian ideals and the values that it's desired to, and left the 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 substance of the faith to die. Right, Balthazar compares it to the man who's stripped and beaten and left to die on the side of the road, the Good Samaritan. And he talks about how the modern world is just stripped it of all of its, everything it likes, right? Love, all you need is love. John Lennon, right, singing these songs. Well, and, um, and that's kind of the Kantian uh, push, right? That um, you just need the categorical imperative, right? which is, um, what, do, do that which... Not, it's not even do that which you would want done to you, but what is it? Act in such a way that you can always affirm the universal value. I don't know. It's but it, it it's just highly technical moralism, right? Um, but remember what Kant does is Kant's coming out of a Lutheran framework, right? He's the son of a pastor, and he's trying to create and divide religion and faith in such a way as to work within a Lutheran framework. So the religion of reason becomes the moral categorical imperative, yeah. the, the moral categories that are inherent in the human person just need to be applied, right? And uh, then he separates that from what he calls faith, which is a totally subjective uh, thing, which leads to, you know, Kierkegaard and, and uh, these guys. Who's the quietism guy? Schleiermacher, right? Yes, that's Schleiermacher. Yeah, yeah, the Schleiermacher. So anyways, that's what kind of leads to this huge distinction. And... Um, so anyways, that gets us down to the world that we're living in. We're, we're in a Protestant culture that is now post-Christian as well. So not only have we inherited the Lutheran dialectic between citizen and faith, but we've also inherited this post-Christian bias slash disdain towards anything Catholic, which is the reason why people hate when the faith steps into the public square, even Catholics. 
Right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And when the priests start talking about politics, you better watch yourself, right? I thought they were going to throw like rotten vegetables at me when I gave that homily in Boulder. It was crazy. Fortunately, I got on a plane and went to London to visit my parents the day after. That was great. I got to escape out of the uh, People's Republic of Boulder. 54 square miles surrounded by reality, as we used to say. So anyways, um, the two questions I want to take on in light of this. Okay, we're resident aliens. We're living in this tension. We don't want to go to the two extremes of vesting um, political power in Christ, so to speak, temporal power. My power is not of this world. My authority is not of this world. And we also don't want to check out. Though, we're going to get an email from Terry Wright, who's going to say, what about when it becomes justified morally to not vote? Yeah. That's a whole other topic, though. Yeah. We'll wait for Terry to rip us. We need to ha- we need to get a third microphone and get a uh, get old Tear Bear in here and <laughs> see if he see if he can explain that because I think part of his reasoning in, in, for that and I mean sorry to jump the gun on that but Dorothy Day would not vote right she said um, I exercise my political responsibility my responsibility to the my civic responsibility by taking care of the poor. In my in my community, that's what that's what my responsibility is, um, and so he feels he feels like he's on solid ground to say you know if I don't think my vote's going to matter. I mean, he always puts a write-in candidate, right. um, and I and I can't remember who he's who was the last one. It was funny. Yeah, I think that the there's a distinction between um, if I'm a resident alien, then I'm obliged to part like uh, Diog, the anonymous Christian says here to participate in all things as a citizen to participate with my civic obligation. But what's the relationship with that and voting? That's a whole nother topic, I think, than yeah. today. And we're ready to take on, at least I don't really know the answer. Not yet. So anyways, we'll bring uh, T-Pain right back for that one. Okay, so the two questions I do want to take on today are, um, if we're resident aliens, right, and the church is to be our guide, does the church have the authority to speak about politics? That's the first question. Because that's where people started to get a little fresh with me. Like, whoa, you need to check yourself. This has nothing to do with politics, right? And the first thing that I would say is that Jesus Christ was killed for being, in the Greek, the word is the lestai. He was a political revolutionary Mm -hmm. is why he was killed. And he was killed between, crucified, for, according to the punishment of political revolutionaries. And And he was killed between two lestai, two political revolutionaries. So that's the first thing he says. Biblically, there's there's a foundation for this, but we'll take the more of a philosophical approach, so to speak. All right. So we go back to Aristotle's politics to say uh, Aristotle says right in the beginning of his politics, man is in is by nature a political animal. All right. He's a Me- political animal. He meaning he's in relation. Right. Right. Okay. So if God becomes man, God becomes a political animal, according to Aristotle, right? And it sounds weird. But politics being a dimension, the political being a dimension of humanity, Christ would take that on in some way. If the church is the body of Christ, then the church is herself a political reality, right? Not just ad intra political, but has to deal with the political reality because it has to deal with humanity. The purpose of the church is to make man fully alive, right? In Christ, yeah, and, and if she that's is, the case, she is described as a light to the nations. Right. And so her task is to, of course, do that. Now, to shed light through the gospel on these, um, on these issues, these and, political issues. And the list goes way back 3,000 years to what does this look like when political power is taken 
um, in the religious sphere in a bad way. Think of the decline after the kingdom of Solomon, right? His sons divide the kingdom, the the Jewish state, and then it gets just crazy from there, right? And then you think about the the temporal problem or the temporal assimilation of power within the church and all the nastiness that that's caused. We could go on and on about that, but we're not going to. The main point is to say that the church deals with humanity. Humanity is inherently political. Therefore, the church has to deal with the political. Okay. Does that sound good? Is the reasoning sound... I haven't uh, done this in yeah. a little while. No, I, I, I was looking at that. Logic. Yeah, that, that's where we need uh, Dr. McLaughlin, T-Mac, as he's known by his T-Mac. friends. Um, but Terry Wright also teaches, uh, Dr. Terrence Wright uh, also teaches logic. So he can he tell does. you whether or not that's a, a logically sound argument. That's good. That's I think. Good. I mean, I, I see it. Um, the hard part is... Um, uh, the church is a mystical body, um, so we are made into the to the body of of Christ, um, with Him as the head and us as the members. Um, is that just something that happens later? You know that the church will, you know, in the second coming, you know, come as the New Jerusalem, and we'll all be made into that, or is it already present now? The answer is we are, we are the church now, um, and but then how do we deal with the concrete, the concrete individual? Is the church both um, mystical but also corporal now? Yeah, um, that we constitute um, the church um, in the communities that we that we form, right. um, and the church has both the local um, attention through the parish and you know larger through the diocese. And then, you know, the, the larger one, which is the, I almost said the Holy Roman Church, but we have Olaf, you know. We have like Olaf. The church, and the church is in communion with her. Right. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's already now. And it is interesting, the first thing you said about the kingdom, king, when Christ says, you know, the kingdom of God has come among you, that, that's a political word right there, you know. Mm-hmm. But the church is not the kingdom. Church, as John Paul II says, is the instrument, the sign, and the seed form of the kingdom okay. of God. So we got to be kind of careful. We can't immediately identify the kingdom of God with the Catholic church. So how does the church then um, help us navigate these moral or civic um, issues at hand? Right. Okay. So um, the, re- that, and that's, that's a great lead into the next well played. Thank you for going to the last. Sometimes they here. don't need to know that I'm doing this. That's Jared. great. <laughs> It was so funny listening to Colorado Public Radio today because they were doing their pledge drive and everything. And I was actually like getting a few um, like pointers from them. I was like, oh, man, they're really playing off each other well. And then they had this one where it's like, you know, the Senate is composed of 100 members and we only need 83 more members to join our 9,100 pledges for our uh, fall drive, which means that you could be more power than a uni- powerful than a United States senator. I'm like, what in the heck is this guy talking about? <laughs> it didn't totally fall. Yeah, and yeah. even the lady checked him on it. She's like, I wasn't sure where you were going with that. It's like, whatever. Whatever. Okay, so. So anyway, so what does the church say? How does she guide us? Well, um, the reason we started writing on this this week was because... Um, my pastor, Father Felix Medina, uh, the Spaniard, was not... Man! Man! He always says that. Man! He, uh, he was not thrilled with the um, guides, the, the voting guides that were being put out. Yeah. And I said, let me take a stab at it. And the reason uh, was is because they were just too complicated. 
you look at this stuff and you're just like, I don't know what to read. You know, the congregation for the doctrine of the faith put out a 25 page article on certain aspects of the participation of the Catholics in the political life. <sighs> 25 pages, you know? Yep. So I just was like, you know what? Let's just see if we can just bring this thing down as tight as possible. So I said, there's two basic things that I want to convey this weekend in the homily to people, which is number one, voting, which is a, an aspect of the civic duty, which the resident alien obliges to, in the, except for the extreme case where there's a just cause where you can't or you shouldn't, right? Terry Wright. He's not saying can't or shouldn't. I'm, not, I'm just saying, a.k.a. You know, Pache Terry Wright. Um, church says vote according to principles and not policy, right? So basically don't be like, I really think this issue is like super important to me, right? I just like really care about this thing, right? That's not exactly the best way to do it. It's it's about principles. There are certain principles that are philosophical in nature. Principle, it means principium, the, the basic, the beginning, the foundation. They're presuppositions upon which a just society functions. And those can be known by natural law, right? By natural reasoning, people can come to know those. Mm-hmm. Policy, policy is around is a pragmatic, action-based approach to how do we address a certain situation, yeah. right? So policy is important, but it's an action, and it has to follow from principles. So if you're voting just on your preferences on certain policies, you're missing the very foundation of logic, right? Policy comes from positive law. Principles come from natural law. If we don't begin in natural law, then forget it, right? Then our policy is not rooted in nature. And if it's not rooted in nature, then it's not going to lead to the flourishment of the human being. But we live in a culture that thinks natural law is a joke, right? I remember leading a Bible study of high school guys. They didn't even know what virtue was. They never heard the word. They were seniors in high school. Yeah. I, don't think I, I don't think I could have defined no. what a virtue was, character, natural law that there's a law written into our nature that is discernible and knowable by human reason because of the intelligibility of the divine law, because God is himself meaningful and intelligible. Does that make sense? So it's just about being bass backwards, as your dad would say, right? Mm-hmm. So that's the first one. Vote according to principles and not policy, which means know the principles and the dictates of natural reason before you go in and you say, let's do this. Let's act on this, right? Whatever it might be. Where do we find those principles? Where do you find those principles? Uh, Aristotle. No, I mean, uh, so you're not talking about principles based on the gospel. You're talking about principles based on reason? First and foremost, principles based on reason, which would be Aristotle and St. Thomas Aquinas. But you can know this from the tradition of natural law, right? The Gospels articulate and express sure. and transcend. They, they more deeply clarify and define, because we got this thing called original sin, which kind of screws everything up, uh-huh. right? and we can't really fully understand it. So the principles of, of natural law are dictated by the Church. I mean, the Catholic Church's social teaching is a way of clearly defining the different principles right, that govern society and that govern the political life of man. Are you saying that Catholic principles of social teaching are based on natural law or based on the gospel? Both. They're based Both. on natural law Yeah, because it's faith and reason. Right. right? Faith perfects reason. It uh-huh. doesn't eliminate it. Right? We're not Lutheran in that sense. Yeah. And, you know, one helpful thing, at least at this, is uh, what they pounded into our heads in one of our classes, which was what the church teaches is not true because the church teaches it. Right. Um, 
the church teaches the truth, like it it proclaims the truth, right? Um, not because the church the church has a duty to proclaim the truth. Um, so I don't I don't know if that. So yeah, helpful. the church the church offers us the clearest, uh, perfect description of the laws that could be known naturally but are perfected because of the gospel dictates. So all you got to do, if you want to know the principles of Catholic social teaching, just Google it. Yeah. Principles of Catholic social teaching, bam, it'll pull them up. What What's one of the principles of uh, natural law that you're talking about? Well, I'm thinking of um, the protection of innocent life, for example. Okay. Can be found on a natural yeah. level, right? Yeah. Uh, the different ways of, of developing justice in terms of uh, personal property, yeah. those different things. Even uh-huh. though Terry Wright would say all property is theft. Because he's a communist. What? No, he wouldn't. Oh, he wouldn't slamming. say that. Fortunately, he doesn't listen to this. So. Yes, he does. Uh, then we're screwed. <laughs> You're screwed. You're I'm screwed. defending you. Terrence, unite. Okay, so that's the first part. The principles being applied to policy. If you don't have principled, logical thinkers, uh, then forget it, right? And most people who study politics, political theory, are not studying philosophy. Nobody knows philosophy. Nobody knows natural law. Nobody even believes that natural law exists. So that's why we're kind of in a bad situation when it comes to the chaos of policy. Mm-hmm. Okay. Also, principles need to define and need to presume um, political involvement in terms of a party affiliation. Right? We don't just join a party and say, this is it. Right? Because that, that leads us back into that kind of let's vest power into this group. Right? Our country was established, was envisioned to not have political parties. For that reason, right? It becomes Dasman, as Nietzsche would say. We learned that from Doctor Wright. That was a little trying to get some favor back. So number two here, and then we gotta we gotta close this up. We gotta hustle, man. We gotta hustle here. All the issues according to to order. So the first thing is principles, not policy. Number two is issues according to order. Right? Catholics get slammed because it's like all you care about is abortion, and you're gonna vote blah blah blah. You're gonna vote Republican because all you care about is abortion. You don't care about anybody else. You don't care about the poor. Whoa! Wait a second. We got to vote according to all the issues. But this is the thing. If you're a principled, intentional voter, educated voter, then you realize that the principles of natural law follow according to a natural order, which means that there's a hierarchy. (gasps) The worst word, right, in our modern society. There's an order. There's a purpose. There's an intention. There's a structure that we have to proceed from. Right? Things have to follow logically from other things. And the way I describe this, which I don't know if it's really helpful, but I said there's there's a natural order to things, which is this. Number one, life. Number two, the creation of life. Number three, the conditions of life. So number one, if you don't have the, di- the dignity and the protection of life, right, all life, from, from conception to natural death, then it doesn't matter what else you're doing. It doesn't matter. Your policy on anything else... All the other principles logically follow from that. Yep. Life is itself good. Life is itself sacred. And innocent life is always to be protected and defended. Right. Second to that is how do you get life? How do you get the generation of life? Marriage, right? Mm, yeah. So the proper and appropriate definition of marriage is going to follow second to the dignity and the protection of life, a.k.a. abortion is going to be a huge thing, right? Capital punishment, euthanasia. But second to that is going to be the definition of marriage right? Defining marriage properly so that it leads to life. And the only way that it can do that, one man, one woman, right? So you get into the realm of contraception, the rejection of the procreative dimension in man and the definition of marriage. Only after that, 
can you deal with the conditions of life? Does that make sense? Everything from immigration to poverty to economic stimulus to unemployment, everything like that. But it has to follow logically from the ability to cultivate life, create life, and to defend life itself. Thoughts, feelings, well, desires. The problem is that I see is no candidate, uh, well, very rarely does a candidate come out and say, um, I'm actually going to do something about the the protection of marriage as one one man and one woman. They have to kind of veil that um, amidst all these other things because you know they try they have to try to hit every single person's concern: energy, education, war, uh, protection of you know life, troops. Um, I don't know. I mean, I don't even pay attention. It's so sad because like I used to be all into this, all into the the politics. You know, I worked for a politician, and uh, and now it's like I just don't even care. I know, I, and that's I'm I, I'm I I'm happy and I'm honored and I'm proud of you for um for taking this on because I am a total chicken when it comes to this stuff because I would just rather say at the end of your life, Matthew twenty six or twenty seven, I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick, and you comforted me. I was in prison, and you visited me. When did we ever do this? When you did it to the least of my brethren, you did it to me. And then on the other side, Lord, when were you naked? When were you uh, unclothed? When were you uh, thirsty? And we never... When you did not do it to the least of my brethren, you did not do it to me. That kind of that kind of challenges me way more than, God, who am I going to vote for on November 4th? Right. Um, and I would fall into the extreme of... I don't even I don't even care. And and that that's wrong. I know it's wrong. Um and it's weird. It really is because I was totally gung ho, but I looked into the into the into the reality that was our current political structure and I was like none of you none of you are working towards a more just and lasting society, uh, a civilization of love. Um and so I went into the church and sometimes I'm like, you're not even doing it there, right. you know. I'm not even doing it here either, you know. Um, I, I I include myself. So, but the but going back to my question is like, what do you do? I mean, looking at each candidate and saying, um, do they even care about those issues? I mean, how do you see? And that, and that is the question at the end of the day. And this is kind of how we're going to close it up here. Is from Terry Wright's perspective, if I was going to take a guess at it. It would be, how do you vote for non-principled politicians who are throwing around phrases about policy? Because the hyper-partisanism that is is destroying the political climate of our country is absolutely, absolutely despicable. And I think our generation is just sick and tired of it. Yeah, you see it. Yeah, It's just, I'm with you. I have to do this because I'm interested in philosophy and I'm I'm interested in this, but I'm with you. And I think at the end of the day, Dorothy Day, Mother Teresa, Madeline DeBrell, what were they doing? They just went into the streets, right? Yeah. They just started living the gospel, and they didn't say, we're going to wait until we get the right politician in place right. so that all of the economic and political reform, they just did it. And I think that's the way Christians have to live. But if we're going to be resident aliens, we have to participate. And right. we have to say we have a civic obligation. Yeah. Well, you have, a, you have an obligation to the so, so society. Right. Um, 
do you have an obligation to vote? That's the, that's the, that question. is the question. And like, you know, again, if you want to brush up on this, you know, there's a bigger book than the 25 page document, you know, render under Caesar by our good friend, Archbishop Shapiro, where, where he says, you know, you got to get in there and yeah. we need it. I mean, God, there are, there are some amazing people out there and I'm not saying that there's not, there's no people that are doing any of this stuff. I'm just saying, I, I don't know who they are. Right. And when it comes to the ballot, of people in Colorado, I don't know. I have absolutely no idea, and uh, and I'll probably be guilty of you know just going down the line of people that I think, based on those voter guides, um, that I see they don't really protect life, right? Um, and they they don't care about life. So um, the the other thing is, you know, just like you're saying, go out into the streets and do something. Don't just think that you fulfilled your civic obligation by putting um, your vote in in November and then spending the next four years saying, well, they didn't do anything about right, it. Right. You didn't do any. I didn't do anything about it, right. you know? Um, and this and this is this is where we, we should probably do a follow-up podcast, uh, and we've said this before. Probably won't. On, yeah. No, on being consumed. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, that oh, book, because yes. we have to see that, like, everything that we do um, is relational. Right. And the way we vote is relational. The way that we uh, spend our money is relational. So when you start to see yourself as part of this society and an integral member of the civilization of love in your family, in your marriage, in the way in which you participate in the 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 public sphere, whether you know schools or jobs or whatever else, you're the lay the lay the lay state is supposed to be the leaven of the world That's right. um, and we're supposed to support them in that and we we all need help in that regard so um get out there and do something get out there and do something not father, just don't just father get Nathan out the vote says, get out the vote get out turn down for what <laughs> sorry to go <laughs> turn, late turn up for what turn up for what catholic stuff podcast at gmail.com we got to close it up here okay quick shout outs what do you got um, you forget every. You I don't do. Care. I swear. Don't tell Father Nathan. Call me instead, and I'll give you a shout. Out. I know. Leslie Wharton, Skyler York, Focus Missionary Friends of ours in yeah. California, faithful listeners. Faithful listeners. Thanks for listening. They're, I'm on their support team. We love them. Um, yeah, I really can't remember anybody. Sorry. We just need 83 more people for Catholic <laughs> Public Radio. You will be more powerful than a United States Senator. Catholic Stuff Podcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Um, we are also doing a uh, Theology on Tap, so please pray for that, uh, November 10th. 10th. And pray that we come up with a topic. Thanks for listening. <laughs>